Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where we introduce you to interesting people and their inspiring stories. From Grace professors, current students, and distinguished alumni, to special guests and speakers on our campus, you can meet new people and hear how they are impacting the world around them. This podcast is recorded and produced at Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. Today we are interviewing Pastor Steve DeWitt, but first uh, we're going to give away some Grace College coffee, a coffee mug, maybe kind of like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the question that we need people to, to send in. What tips would you offer first-year college students? So send your answer to that to podcast at grace.edu, and uh, we'll have a winner for a coffee mug. But as I mentioned, today we have Pastor Steve DeWitt. Steve has served as lead pastor of Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana since 1997. He's passionate about expository preaching, the doctrines of grace, and helping the church engage culture and the beauty of God. In addition to Bethel, Steve's teaching ministry can be heard through Bethel's media ministry, The Journey, which airs on Moody Radio. He's the author of Eyes Wide Open and Enjoying God and Everything and Coming in 2024, Loneliness. Don't hate it or waste it, redeem it. One of the things I love about Steve is he is an avid Hawkeye fan, just like I am, go Iowa. And interesting fact, my dad was his high school science teacher. So Steve, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. And you know, your dad was the toughest teacher in the school. <laughs> we had a little fear in our hearts for uh, for your dad's tests and quizzes and uh but he was the most respected too i think so uh that would be true in my household as well oh. so you know a little bit of fear mixed with a lot of love that's yes. a, that's a good way to parent yes i agree all right so we asked the uh audience what their advice would be for first year college students we're just starting the fall semester here at grace so what would be your advice for first year college students well i uh I, w- I have maybe some practical advice. And I have some like theological advice. Oh, I like it. Okay. Yeah. So I think on the practical side, I if I could go back and do it all over again, I would see college less as a, um, a series of boxes to check uh, in order to get a degree that will somehow open doors for me and to more see it as the development of my uh, spiritual, uh, intellectual, and uh, you know the, the the character of my of who I am holistic, and, and it's yeah yeah it, it, it's it, you know I and not everybody approaches college this way you know the 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 party scene is one example of that but for me I was on a mission to get my degree and to get on with with life and you can sometimes view college as sort of like the intertestamental period of mm. the Bible where, you know, uh, there's not a lot said. It's just sort of that time between what I was and what I'm going to do someday. And to miss the fact that um, many people probably view their college years as some of their most fun and most formative years of their life. And if you miss out on either one of those, when you get out of college, you'll probably look back with some regrets on that. Mm. So I certainly would... Uh, encourage, you know, being crazy at the games and, you know, doing all the fun things that a college campus allows. But to keep in mind, kind of like Ecclesiastes 12, where, you know, 
presumably Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, and he encourages the youth to remember their creator in their youth. Because mm. uh, the days are coming, again, Ecclesiastes 12, where you know, you're not going to sleep well, your teeth aren't going to work well, your body's not going to work well, and you'll probably give anything to go back to the, the days of youth when you felt vigor and strength. And so I had a quote on my, in my dorm that was a good reminder to me. I think it was Paul Beals who said, you're only young once, but if you do it right, that's enough. Mm. And so determined to make the most of college, but to make the most of it in ways that when you're older, you'll be glad that you did. And those are not going to be so much, you know, you probably aren't going to remember your GPA exactly, even though excellence is important. Um, you, You may not remember, you know, the scholarships you got necessarily, although not having school debt is important. Uh, what, what you're going to remember is how um, you became who you are. And that sense of becoming, of maturing and growing, and especially spiritually, kind of like chapel today where we talked about what it means to have Christ at the center, the sort of the glue of everything and seeing him as the as the, uh, the center of all things, is the sooner you can get that and, and understand that academically, spiritually, and existentially, I think uh, the quicker you move into maturity and you can actually enjoy, you know, enjoy your years of college. Yeah. So, so was say, that the practical advice or the theological? Because it had a lot of both. In yeah. It, you, you, got, you got more? You I, got... I, I think I melded them together. <laughs> yeah. I, that was good. Yeah. Fusion. It was, uh, and I, I, I find um, that to be true in my life, and that's what we want for our students, right? We want them to have a blast. We want them to look back on the experience, but we don't want them to look back and think they wasted three or four years. Mm. Uh, they were equipped for three or four years, and we talk about prepared for service, prepared mm. for wherever you know Christ has for you to go make a difference for Him. Yeah. So you talked about chapel today. You're wearing the shirt even, which is super impressive for a chapel speaker. To I like... might wear it again tomorrow if the students aren't grossed out by it. <laughs> All things. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. our chapel theme for this year and uh, studying the book of, of Corinthians. And so you were in um, verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1. Tell us a little bit about what you shared with students. And you kind of told me, like, this is a thematic message of just what, you know, you're always about, which Mm. is the supremacy of Christ. Or I try to always be about. Yes. Yes. Um, Well, I I talked about, you know, the text that says that Christ holds all things together. And, uh, you know, in context, it is primarily talking about the the created order, the cosmos, but it goes even deeper than that to understand that Christ is the, uh, the central reality. You know, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that that is a all-encompassing uh, worldview, and that Christianity, you know, unveils him. The, the blinders come off, and we see what life is really all about, and by Figuring out who Christ is and what he's all about, it puts us in our proper place to figure out who we are mm-hmm. and then what our lives uh, should should be all about. So in that way, Christ brings order to the chaos of the world and you know our own worlds, the worlds that we live in, our families and the, the inner 
thoughts and struggles and challenges and worries and fears that uh, that Christianity and the gospel is a centering, tethering, and a uh, systematic approach to life. And so I spent time on you know what that means and threw in some illustrations of that. And we had a great time. I enjoyed I enjoyed it greatly. You, it was wonderful. Thank you for for doing it. What's tomorrow look like? What do you uh, give us a little preview? Well, uh, we're going to go from Christ, uh, the, the centrality of Christ in all things, to the to the beauty of Christ, and uh, I'm going to talk about you know what does that mean? You know what is what is the beauty of Jesus, and how does uh, how does the Holy Spirit help us to see? true beauty in Christ, and then to actually enjoy all the reflected beauties, which Romans 1 says the whole created order is a reflection of the divine character, Mm -hmm. and that uh, Christians rightly understanding things and understanding beauty and pleasure should be the most aesthetically uh, enriched and enjoying people on earth. So how does Jesus help the coffee taste better and the sunset look better and... um, you know, the, the the pretty girl three rows up uh, look cuter and all the things that, you know, the visual delights of our, our world as reflected beauty from uh, Christ, who's the beauty behind it all. So I'm interested in this. Uh, I've wanted to ask you about this. You know, I read, I read your book, um, Enjoying God and Everything, got some copies, especially for those who uh, do artistic things around here at Grace. How did uh, how did this sort of uh, concept of beauty and, and God's beauty and reflected beauty like where did that where did that start where did that come from for you and and become a little bit of your calling card I guess you know one mm-hmm. of the things that you're known for really uh, uh, talking about and exposing the the church and others to like how did that come about and it was a beautiful sunset and you're just like ah oh, <laughs> like what how was how did that well I. I... So I was nurtured in more fundamentalist Christianity, which was somewhat Gnostic in its um, view of the body and the physical world. And, you know, we, we just trust in Jesus and wait for him to come. And, you know, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. And um, after becoming a Christian, growing up in the, in the church, I really, really love beautiful experiences. And in my role with the church and everything, I got to travel the world and see these different places. But I didn't have I didn't have like a grid or a category to like, why do I feel so moved by this beautiful music or this piece of art or whatever it would be? And you know, is it sinful? Like am I what do I do with this? And so mm. I I began to uh, to do some reading. Was very influenced by C.S. Lewis. Um, one statement in particular really got me. He he writes in letters to Malcolm: uh, "Pleasures are shafts of the glory, as they strike our sensibilities, turn them into channels of adoration." And that got me thinking about how. All of this can be actually theology, and to bring God into the aesthetical pleasures and enjoyments, and that that actually is good and is what godly, mature Christians do. We 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 don't enjoy these things atheistically, but again, Romans one 
uh, we give him honor, we give him thanks. The, you know, the, the, the unbeliever doesn't do that, and they, they love the, they enjoy the concert, and they spend ridiculous amounts of money to attend it, but when it's all done, all they can do is be thankful for the created thing itself. But the Christian uh, can see through that to a greater beauty and to give thanks to God for it. And so I uh, like the hymn, you know, mm-hmm. how great, you know, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder uh, consider all the worlds thy hands have made, you know, then sings my soul. And that's the basic principle that beauty leads to wonder and wonder should lead to worship. And that through the gospel, we're restored to that aesthetical experience of the created order. Mm. And it enriches the Christian's life and allows us to uh, enjoy these things in a deeper, worshipful, spiritual way. Mm. And uh, I just discovered that in the evangelical space, there, you know, the, the Orthodox have written on for centuries on beauty and even the the Greek philosophers it was one of their core you know the, the triad of with truth and goodness they you know they highly valued beauty but evangelicalism has been skittish with it and there wasn't really much written about it and so I wrote the book eyes wide open and uh, this was 2012 it came out and uh, since then, there's been a number of books that have been written on it. My friend Phil Riken just had a book come out a couple weeks ago on that on the subject, along with many others. And so, I don't know. I, I kind of uh, I like that even if people don't read my book, they may read other books on the subject and get to the same place, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the end the goal is that God would be worshipped for all His works and. We live in a world of works that he's made. How is the message received? I mean, if you're bringing kind of a, a new, a new perspective, a new flavor that has been there, but maybe not emphasized. And considering the, the background you grew up in, which mine's very similar, um, how is that message received? Was it received as like, what's this guy talking about, or was it like, wow, this is okay, good, like this is helpful, new perspective, maybe a mix of both. Mostly the latter. I, okay. I think that, you know, f- for a lot of people, they, they similar to me, they, they didn't know what to do with that. I call it wonder, that kind of inner energy and delight that these things produce in us. And uh, I think I was able to kind of create a structure that the uh, pleasure-loving evangelicals, you know, there's a place to go with this that isn't sinful. I'm not a hedonist because I'm mm. enjoying this so much. Um, and so it's, it was very warmly, uh, very uh, warmly received. And I think, um, I hope has been helpful in people's discipleship. What, uh, so practically speaking, for maybe the person who um, is practically minded and, and, doesn't take the time as much to enjoy the beauty around them. What, what are some ways that you can develop that or you can grow your wonder? Hmm. Uh, Chesterton said that, and this quote I'm not going to get exactly right, but that what we're talking about requires humility to sit at the foot of a dandelion and wonder. 
And I think it is, you know, in the world that we live in where we're very um, fast-paced, we're very task-oriented, and all the while these beauties are just sitting all around us. And it's not just the visual or the audio. I mean, there's moral goodness and, um, you know, beauty, it applies so broadly in so many categories. But we have to, um, it takes humility to stop and to choose to um, receive the beauty, to enjoy it, and to give thanks to God. So again, beauty leads to wonder, wonder leads to worship. And it's that second part, the wonder to worship part, that I think um, most are not, it's not a habit of life. And so since our habitus is more uh, rush and flyby, Mm -hmm. We, we end up missing, you know, it's the old stop and smell the roses kind of principle mm-hmm. where um, make sure you stop for a moment and delight in it. And that delight doesn't mean you have to sing the hallelujah chorus every time you have some, you know, an awesome cup of coffee. But I think that over time you can create a sense of thankfulness and uh, to live in a posture of gratitude for, um, you know, this amazing world that we live in. Um, I think we're going to get to heaven someday and, and discover that, you know, again, Romans 1, God speaks through the created order. And, you know, if we had listened a little more, we would have enjoyed it even more. That's really helpful and good for me because I, I think hearing it as a discipline is helpful because I, I think often I yeah, task-oriented, what's the next thing, and don't take the time to even force myself to ask the question, what is beautiful and good about this? What is where? Where is the beauty in this moment? Where is the beauty in this uh, creation? Whatever it is, um, and then you you talked about wonder to worship. Uh, when you've experienced something, you know uh, whether it's creation or a concert or a movie. What are some ways or helpful ways to move you from wonder to worship? Well, I think the most important thing is to think about uh, how this relates to God. And this is where it requires a certain theological understanding, you know, to, to connect the dots between, let's say, you know, like, if, I, if you don't mind, so last night I was at your house for dinner. And the pizza was beautiful. Oh, it was, that beautiful that pizza. That Papa John's pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I was thinking about the... Uh, the questions that your sons asked at dinner. I was so impressed by their, for their age and kind of stage of life, they asked very thoughtful, mature questions. And, you know, to think about, a, a kind of, it's, it's kind of beautiful to see a young person. You know, it's one thing we were amazed at, uh, you know, some, kid singer on AGT that is this incredible voice, but it's even more impressive to see character development and to see a young person Mm. who is actually carrying on a meaningful conversation. So to think about conversation as a, as a gift or to, to, you probably look at your sons and you can't believe how they're growing and they're, you know, they're, they're becoming, you know, and it's, it's, it's a marvel. Well, what do you do with that? You know, you can say, Hey, my wife and I were amazing parents. Look at what they've done. But it really is a, it's a gift. And it's kind of 
the humdrum of life where these daisies and roses are blooming around us that we can so easily, we slip past it. And the result of that is that it makes us shallower. The, the, the enriching and deepening moments, we have to capture them. So um, I would try to think about what this, how, how is this experience like God? Hmm. So if we're, if we're going to go to, you know, you, you, you happen to look at the stars and it's just, you have this, you know, the Northern Lights moment, you know, what do you, what do you think about? Like, wow, it's amazing how those um, light rays are bending around the earth and, you know, how gravity or whatever is making it happen or to take it from that and to think about the marvel of the created world that God made. And, and maybe we don't understand, but we can always say thank you, you know, in my heart, God, thanks for this moment that I get to enjoy and every good gift is from you. And I'm totally enjoying this moment. So thank you, God, Hmm. you know, acknowledge him, uh, give him honor. Don't, you know, don't enjoy it like an atheist would, which is just the thing itself. You know, again, Romans 1, they worship the created thing rather than the creator. Mm -hmm. And so it's that next step from wonder to worship where the Christian separates himself from the the unbeliever in the aesthetical enjoyment. And so I would just, you know, try as a first step, try to think about what this mountain range is massive and and yet it's the tip of the finger of God, Mm -hmm. you know, or... You know the the great moment with your child, and uh, to realize that that child is a gift, and that moment was a gift. You'll never get it back, and uh, to savor it and to be thankful for it. Mm-hmm. So, in some way, give him honor; in some way, give him thanks. Thank you for kind of providing us a bit of a theological framework for how to think about uh, wonder, and then wonder into worship. And and you know, I think one of the things I really appreciate too is. Um, you know, kind of like me, like you're a sports guy, like you grew up playing sports and, you know, rough and tumble, but, uh, to be able to also, um, be a, a beauty guy, you know, and poetry and music and to, to see the aesthetic of the world and the wonder that God has created. Uh, I think that helps shape us and, and helps us become whole persons that are made more in the likeness of Christ. Well, don't get me started on how sports are beautiful. <laughs> Especially the Iowa Hawkeyes, That's right? another whole category. Talk, talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes offense. Is there anything beautiful about that? I don't Not know. Not last year. <laughs> uh, as fans, we could go down that route, too. Um, okay, so new book coming out on loneliness. Um, is this a different topic? Is it a, is it a related stream of, of what you've been uh, Totally in? different. And, and so, you know, why, why this one and, and why now? Well, my story is that I uh, became a pastor when I was 24. Uh, I've been a pastor for 31 years. I pastored as a single man um, for 21 years, and I pastored a large church for 15, senior pastor of that church for 15 years. Which is pretty unique. I mean, that's not typical. No. In fact, there's... um, there's two megachurch experts uh, that have determined that I was the only never married megachurch pastor in the United States. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I don't know if I should feel good or <laughs> depressed by that, but uh, it, I'll, what it did is it, it, um, 
it gave me many, many years to experience aloneness and solitude, um, but to try to think about it biblically and, you know, as a, I aspire to be a theologian type guy, you know, what, again, like beauty, what are these feelings and what do I do with these? And so I had, I calculated 8,000 nights alone before I got married as an adult, um, where I, you know, sometimes more than others was pondering the experience of aloneness. And so over the years, I wrote some articles for TGC and other places on singleness and loneliness and, you know, would speak to singles events occasionally. And I just had a lot of time to push that uh, experience through the grid of the Bible and, and a Christian worldview. And so um, I decided that, and now I've been married for 11 years, um, and it's not a book about lo- how marriage gets rid of loneliness. Mm. It's totally not that. It's, um, it's more a book about the, um, how loneliness is, is itself not a sin, but it certainly can be weaponized as a sin or f- turn us towards sinful responses. And better is to redeem it and to use it for what God intended it to, to do in us, uh, which is to you know, nudge us towards him and to nudge us towards others even as that can be a very painful experience. But loneliness is also painful, too. Mm. So the, the subtitle's a good summary. You know, don't hate it. And I, and I say that because I totally hated it. Uh, and don't waste it. And I was, you know, I was a, I didn't get married until I was 44. So uh, I, I know I wasted a lot of my loneliness. Don't do either of those things, even though I did. Better is to understand it. And to uh, to redeem it because I think it can be a real friend uh, and a and a kind of guide that God placed within sort of anthropology to mm. for we humans the way that we're made so redeem the ache and uh, and God can produce some exciting fulfilling relational fruit. I'm confident that it will meet a significant need and. I even think of our own students, and though they're around hundreds, thousand other college students, yet there is a sense of loneliness mm-hmm. that many, if not most, experience, and that would bear out in the numbers we see of students who you know need some some mental health counseling or coaching along the way, because mm-hmm. we're we're all struggling in one sense or another with the loneliness of this world because we're not ultimately meant for it. But uh, I think this will be a really helpful... And and I would guess coming out of COVID, right? There's such a... Uh, it was bad before that. Yeah, yeah. And that certainly didn't help. In fact, I think it amplified... The studies would show that it was um, a devastating, you know, the social distancing and, and again, kind of creating habits of relating to people that didn't draw us closer to one another, but but kind of drew us further apart. And some people have, you know, never overcome that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the studies are all showing, you know, it's a, it's an epidemic of loneliness in culture today. And I think the gospel and the church are ideally situated to, to leverage the, uh, the power of the gospel 
into this deeply felt need in our society today. So I hope that God uses the book. It comes out, I think, May, okay. May of 2024. Well, it'd be, you know, more than ever, um, at least our students are willing to admit they're lonely. I think that is maybe a shift that has changed. People are willing to say, yeah, I'm lonely, but now, now what do I do with it? I think that's the unanswered question for many is mm-hmm. what do I do with that? And um, I think you're, you're are saying, and I think it'll be helpful, like that you may not fix the loneliness, but you can, you can redeem it. Mm-hmm. You can utilize it to, through the gospel for good. Absolutely. Yep. Well, uh, if uh, somebody wants to get a hold of that book or any of your past books or just find you in general, what are the best ways to become a Steve DeWitt fan? <laughs> uh, right now, my friends are uh, throwing up at home uh, with that comment, <laughs> along with my family, yeah. probably. Well, I mean, our, our uh, media outlets would be BethelWeb.org is the church website, so sermons and resources are there. Um, our media ministry is uh, The Journey, so thejourney.fm. Also, the podcast, The Journey with Pastor Steve, um, is there's a daily drop and programming that, that happens there as well. So um, the books are on Amazon. So, yeah. And- and thank you for uh, sharing with us in the podcast. Thanks for coming to our campus, sharing in chapel. And on a personal note, um, it was a joy to reconnect with you. And we talked about my dad at the beginning a few years ago when you wrote an article for TGC about my dad and uh, the, the suffering he went through, the loneliness mm-hmm. he went through with the, the passing of my brother. Um, and that was a really meaningful thing for me to be able to uh, help you just a little bit in that process and super meaningful to my parents as well. So thanks for the way that you've encouraged our campus, but uh, thanks for the way you've encouraged me and my family. Yeah, well, truly my pleasure. Well, thank you for uh, listening to the Grace Story podcast today. Thanks to Rick and Avery for their work producing this podcast. And as always, if you can like, comment, subscribe, share it with others so they can discover us, uh, we would be so thankful. If you have questions, comments, or jokes to share with us, uh, please reach out at podcast.grace.edu. And until next time, live your best grace story today.